Chapter Five of the Sheridan Road Mystery. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Sheridan Road Mystery by Paul and Mabel Thorne. Chapter Five: Peculiar Facts. When Morgan reached the second floor on his way down, he paused a moment before Marsh's door. So far as he had gone in this case, Morgan was confronted with two factors: the connection of this man with the case, and the bearing which Miss Atwood and her father might have upon it. Without doubt some singular conditions surrounded the Atwoods, but his knowledge of these was still too vague to give him even a basis for reasoning. On the other hand, the questionable circumstances surrounding the connection of this man Marsh with the case were very definite indeed, and though Morgan tried to avoid hasty conclusions, he could not keep back his growing suspicions of Marsh. As he hesitated before Marsh's door, Morgan thought that it moved slightly. Stepping closer and pushing the door gently with an outstretched hand, he found it tightly closed yet he had a feeling that the door had been softly closed after he had stopped on the landing. That decided Morgan. The time was not opportune for an interview with this man. He wanted to obtain some additional facts before taking the step he was now convinced would have to be taken, and so went on down the stairs to carry his investigations further. Leaving the house, Morgan turned the corner of Lawrence Avenue and entered the alleyway in the rear of the Hillcrest Apartments. Practically all Chicago apartment houses have an outside rear stairway for the use of tradespeople. Usually this stairway is open, so that anything which takes place can be observed from all nearby houses. In this instance the stairway was enclosed, with a door leading to the back porch of each apartment. A person could pass from the alley up to the third floor without being noticed, even by the tenants in the building itself. Morgan instantly noted that an automobile could stand in the alleyway close to the entrance that a person could come down these stairs unobserved, step into the car, and be quietly carried away, disappearing into the general traffic of the streets, improbably not more than two minutes after leaving the apartment. Here, thought Morgan, was a possible solution of the sudden disappearance of the person who had been either murdered or wounded. It was a problem, of course, as to which door they had been brought through, and the solution of that problem would very likely bring him pretty close to the person or persons who had participated in the events of the night before. Unquestionably, the rear door of the apartment where the trouble had taken place had not been used for this purpose, although it would seem the logical and quickest way to make an exit. On the other hand, for that very reason, the persons back of the supposed crime had been clever enough to avoid it, thus adding a mystifying element to what had taken place. In the light of present developments, two possible exits suggested themselves to Morgan, these were the Atwood and Marsh apartments. The girl, however, claimed that she had slept through the night, and it hardly seemed possible that anyone could pass through her flat without arousing her. This, of course, meant taking for granted her story that she was alone in the apartment and had been in bed and sleeping. While Morgan felt attracted toward the girl, and placed considerable confidence in her honesty, he did not allow these emotions to entirely dull his sense of suspicion. If things did not clear themselves shortly, he would carry his investigations further along this line. In the meantime, his distrust centered on the Marsh apartment. This man admitted being awake during the reported struggle, and there was no question about his being partly dressed and in action while some of the events were taking place. Marsh could easily have passed a person or a body to a confederate through his back door, locked the door, and then hurried into Sheridan Road to direct the attention of the police or any other persons who had been aroused to the front of the house thus enabling his confederate to get quietly, safely, and quickly away. This was only bare theory on Morgan's part. He needed definite facts to either confirm this theory 
or to prove that his judgment was at fault. The cuff button, with its initial M, looked curiously like one of these facts, and taken in connection with the other circumstances, pointed strongly toward Marsh. He wanted to know more about Marsh, and the girl had given him some basic facts which would enable him to enlarge his fund of information. The owner, or the real estate agent, who managed the building, seemed to be the logical starting point for securing this information. To find out the names of these people must be his next step. Luckily, at this moment, the janitor of the apartment building appeared, rolling a barrel of ashes up from the basement. While it was quite obvious that such was the case, Morgan opened the conversation by inquiring, "'Are you the janitor of this flathouse?' "'Yes, sir,' replied the man. "'Does the owner run this building, or has he placed an agent in charge?' "'A real estate agent manages it,' the janitor informed him. "'Parker Cole, over on Broadway.' "'Thanks,' said Morgan, and returned down the alley to Lawrence Avenue, where he turned west and walked over to Broadway. A few minutes later he stood at the counter in the real estate office, and a man approached him. "'Is either Mr. Parker or Mr. Cole in?' "'I am Mr. Cole,' announced the man. "'What can I do for you?' Morgan opened his coat a minute to give Cole a glimpse of his badge, then said, "'I would like to talk confidentially with you for a few minutes.' "'Step into my private office,' directed Cole, opening a gate as he spoke, and indicating a space partitioned off at the rear. "'What is the trouble?' he inquired, when they were seated. "'I came to see you in connection with the trouble in the Hillcrest last night.' "'A most unfortunate affair!' exclaimed Cole. "'It is the first time anything of the kind ever occurred in any of the buildings under our management. It is most unfortunate,' he repeated. "'I have been assigned to the case,' Morgan informed him, "'and I am gathering all the information possible. Then I can formulate some theory upon which to work. Just at this time I want a little information regarding your tenants in the building.' "'Very fine people! Very fine people, indeed!' protested Cole. "'There couldn't be a breath of suspicion against any of them.' "'I'll be the judge of that,' said Morgan sharply. "'But really,' cried Cole, "'you must not annoy our tenants. Surely it was only a quarrel among burglars. One man probably wounded his pal, and then, alarmed at the disturbance he created, hurried him away.' Morgan smiled. This was a very ingenious and plausible solution of the mystery, at least in the real estate agent's eyes. However, Morgan now sought facts, not amateur theories, and disregarding the real estate man's talk, he pushed his quest for information. "'I have a report in my pocket which covers all that I want to know about most of your tenants, at least for the present. There are two families, however, about whom I want further information. The first is the Atwood family, in the third floor south.' "'Atwood? Atwood?' repeated Cole, as if he did not place the name. Then he called, "'Joe, bring me that rent book!' Morgan became alert. It was possible that a man like Cole, with a large list of properties under his management, might be somewhat vague in his recollection of the names of a few of his tenants. This case was different. The Atwoods, according to the girl's story, had subleased their apartment quite recently, presumably with the agent's sanction. The present excitement should naturally have recalled this matter to Cole's mind, should even have concentrated his thoughts upon the names and characteristics of every tenant in this particular building. Cole's unfamiliarity with the name of Atwood, therefore, seemed peculiar. At this moment a boy entered with a large volume. Laying it on Cole's desk, the boy passed quietly out of the office. Cole glanced at the index, and then turned over certain pages in the book. "'We have no Atwood in that house,' he declared finally, looking up at Morgan. "'You must have made a mistake.' Before replying, Morgan pulled out a small notebook and spread it open on his knee, ready for use. He also extracted a pencil from his vest pocket. 
Glancing at the point to see that it was in working condition, he turned to Cole with the question, "'Who does occupy the third floor south in that house?' "'A family named Crocker.' "'Full name, please.' "'Joseph Crocker. He rented that apartment one year ago, the first of this month,' stated Cole, after further reference to the book. Morgan jotted this down in his notebook. "'You haven't heard that Mr. Crocker subleased his flat?' inquired Morgan. "'No,' replied Cole positively. "'I would be sure to know about it, too. A transaction of that kind must be put through and reported in this office.' "'Can you give me any further particulars about Mr. Crocker?' "'Well, of course. I could look up his references and the other papers, if you wish me to. But as I recall it, he came from St. Louis and had excellent references from that city.' "'I won't bother you to look anything more up on that just now,' said Morgan. "'I may be interested in that information later.' I'll see what I can find out first. How did you come to associate the name of Atwood with that apartment? inquired Cole. I thought that was the name mentioned in the report I have. It was probably a mistake of the man who first went through the building. They often make mistakes in names, Morgan added reassuringly, as it was not his desire to start Cole on any investigation of his own at this time. Now, what can you tell me about the Marsh family, second floor north? Well, there's a party I can tell you more about. It made an impression upon me at the time we rented the apartment, because we had to make special arrangements. Yes, said Morgan encouragingly. You see, continued Cole, owing to a death in the family, the people who occupied that apartment moved out in July, and I sublet the apartment for them from the first of August to a Mr. Gordon Marsh. Mr. Marsh, I understand, was driven off his ranch in Mexico by the revolutionists. As he knew practically no one in the United States to whom he could refer, we finally compromised by his agreeing to pay his rent quarterly in advance. "'How much of a family has he?' asked Morgan. "'Only his wife,' returned Cole. "'That was one reason we were willing to come to terms with him. We like small families, like Mr. Ames, who rents the apartment where the trouble occurred.' Morgan welcomed this mention of Ames, and gave him an opening for further questions regarding this tenant. He was not overlooking the fact that the Ames family might in some way be connected with the affair." "'I suppose Mr. Ames and his wife are still away?' he inquired. "'Yes,' returned Cole. "'We received his October rent through his London bankers, White Wythe Harding, and only a few days ago a letter referring to some decorating to be done when he returns next month. By the way, why are you particularly interested in these families?' "'Just happen to be people we didn't get reports on at the building, that is all. Our reports on a case of this kind have to be complete.' "'Quite right, quite right,' approved Cole, his curiosity evidently satisfied." "'Mr. Marsh and Mr. Ames are friends, are they not?' queried Morgan casually, as he noted down in his book what Cole had recently told him. "'Not so far as I know. In fact, it hardly could be possible, inasmuch as Mr. Ames and his wife went abroad, before Mr. Marsh arrived in Chicago.'" End of chapter 5